Hello, everyone. Thanks again for tuning in. I wanted to bring you another interlude episode that is not as produced and edited as a normal episode and doesn't follow the normal format of the show. Um, I do these interludes just to bring you some information outside of, you know, kind of off the beaten path in that way. And this time I decided to bring you the next element of my theory of indivisibility that I hadn't shared with you just yet, the framework of, of my theory. And I want to share that with you. And I also want to give you some information to tell you a little bit about myself as well, uh, to start developing even more of a connection with all of you, the listeners, those of you who are following me on this journey, and hopefully to add a little bit more nuance uh, for what this is all about. So in episode five, I actually introduced you to my theory of indivisibility. And that was an episode uh, titled Power Part Three, My Theory Defined and or my theory explained. And I shared the following. I truly believe that we as humans have the capacity to live in harmony with nature and one another. I truly believe that we have the capacity to live indivisibly. It is my belief that the true leverage point for living indivisibly is in the recognition that our current social, political, and economic systems are intrinsically designed to produce the perpetual dysfunction that we continue to experience because they are rooted in power over ideals, beliefs, and norms. It is also in the recognition that there is no one to blame. Power over systems were designed and integrated into society approximately 10,000 years ago based on the communication, problem solving, and governance tools that had evolved up to that point in time. Just like they had no way to drive cars back then because the skill and know-how had not evolved yet, they also had no better way to manage population growth and the perceived scarcity of resources because the skill and know-how had not evolved yet. That is no longer the case. We currently live during an era where many people possess the necessary skills to live indivisibly, and there is an abundance of resources available to help more people obtain them. However, by no fault of their own, most people are still mentally trapped within the indoctrination of power over systems paradigms. In the book, The Fifth Discipline, Peter Singe states that structures of which we are unaware hold us prisoner. Once we can see them and name them, they no longer have the same hold on us. I created this podcast to help more people learn to see and name the inherent oppressions within the social systems rooted in power over and control and the ways that we all perpetuate them. I believe that as more people learn this, they will begin to intentionally make changes in their lives in an effort to organize and live in ways that inherently produce equity, sustainability, liberation, and unconditional love for themselves, the environment, and other human beings. So that's my theory of indivisibility. In addition to all of that that I just shared, I also created what I call a framework for social innovation. And I created what I call the DNA of divisiveness and the DNA of indivisibility is how I framed it. So I created a chart and I'm going to share that chart with you for what the DNA of divisiveness is and the DNA of indivisibility is. And I believe through the use of this chart that people can begin to identify, again, see and name 
those the ways that we perpetuate the division that we see in society because any of these social systems that have the tools and the language of the DNA of divisiveness, you know that that system is going to continue to perpetuate a lot of the uh, social ills that we continue to face. Again, the current social systems are built with the tools and the language of my DNA of divisiveness. And for innovators who want to create healthy, generative, sustainable, liberating systems, they can use the tools and the language of my DNA of indivisibility. So let's jump into what those are. The DNA of divisiveness. The tools. Power over systems use these tools to maintain power over and control of people. Fear, scarcity, dependency, standardization, moral judgment, competition, laws, conditional love, lying, exclusiveness, social norms, the illusion of freedom, intolerance, mistrust of human nature, self-oppression. For example, like the idea that I was born a sinner. Language. The communication framework of power over systems is debate. And debate is characterized by the idea that only one side wins, uh, the use of insults, the use of us versus them language, blame, shame, etc. We see debate as the common communication framework in our society. Our politicians debate to win elections. Um, you know, when people get in arguments, they get into debates where one person is trying to win over the other person. And we see those things like the insults and the us versus them and the blame and the shame. And very few people feel good coming out of a heated argument with someone they love or a debate where power over dynamics uh, usually trump, um, you know, what someone feels in a, in a given uh, disagreement. And that's the norm. That's what the way that most people communicate in their personal and professional lives and also in our governance world. So therefore, it continues to produce certain outcomes. And I actually wrote uh, a, a list of outcomes. So the outcomes of the DNA of divisiveness, the tools and the language that I just shared, is incremental, hard-fought, and slow progress towards healthy, functional social norms amidst perpetual divisiveness, war, crime, violence, poverty, pollution, homelessness, hunger, mental illness, and dysfunctional relationships. So those are the outcomes. So yes, I give a nod to all of the people out there who want to point to all the good things that have come from the way our society is currently structured and has been structured in terms of the power over and control systems like, you know, capitalism and patriarchy and religion and all these various things. They have produced some slow progress, but it's always been so hard fought, right? And amidst the the hard fought progress we've had and we continue to have poverty, pollution, homelessness, etc. So just keep that in mind and hold that. And as you go through the world, just analyze the things that are happening around you. Analyze the ways that people are communicating. Analyze the way that we have these systems that give you some good 
but also produce a lot of pain and hurt and suffering. That's the DNA of divisiveness. You can literally write this down or, or, or look at it. I'll share, share it in, show, in the show notes and look at it. And when you are wondering why you may be feeling disheartened or why the world is so cold and cruel to one another, I just gave, it, gave you the reasons. It's because our social systems are built on elements that are designed to give us these outcomes over and over and over again as a feedback loop, as a cycle, as a pattern. And if you, if you go back through the previous episodes when I talked about feedback loops and uh, complexity and the various systems thinking tools to help us analyze and see these things, then I'm sure you're kind of connecting the dots. And if you haven't, please go back and listen to uh, every episode, starting with episode one, because all of this unfolds like a book. So next up, let's talk about the DNA of indivisibility. And what I hope that you, the listeners, and um, this, this grand vision that I have is that there will be some ambitious, you know, innovative-minded thinkers and solutions-oriented people that will be able to use these tools, this, this framework, the DNA of divisiveness to see the problems name the problems, and the DNA of indivisibility to create something new, to design new social systems that give us different feedback loops, feedback loops that are generative and that foster sustainability, as opposed to the feedback loops that our current social systems give us that foster and create waste and environmental degradation and, again, all the social ills that humans face. So, okay, let's get into DNA of indivisibility. The tools. The tools of the DNA of indivisibility are agency, affirmation, sharing, consent, collaboration, liberation, transparency, unconditional love of self and others, personal boundaries, pluralism, authenticity, trust, mediation, tolerance, empathy, and inclusion. Now, within both the DNA of indivisibility and the DNA of divisiveness, these are living, breathing, evolving concepts and tools and frameworks. So, uh, you know, as we continue to think through these things together, you know, I'll add some things to these, uh, these, these tables um, or charts. And as you see, I'm still even evolving on how I present it and how I share it. And it's something that I believe over time with your thinking as well as my thinking that we'll be able to build something and create something that we can articulate uh, because this is new. It's, inno it's an innovation. So, um, yeah, you hear that within even how I'm explaining it. But I, I wanted to say that, you know, I gave you these tools, but there's more that I'm sure can be added to this list. And I'm open to you all adding to it. So the language of the DNA of indivisibility is authentic dialogue. That's the communication framework. Authentic dialogue is a communication framework that involves listening and speaking in an effort to find common ground, broaden perspectives, create mutual understanding, and work together to create solutions that all parties involved can feel good about. You see how that's the total opposite of debate? So... Authentic dialogue is something I'm extremely passionate about. 
uh, is something that I use when I do my um, conflict resolution and thriving culture trainings for groups and organizations. Um, and it's something that I also include that I also use in my personal relationships with the people I'm in relationship with, whether it be my children or romantic partners, et cetera. Um, you know, this is the framework that creates, it allows us to use conflict to bring, to strengthen relationships. It allows us to use conflict and disagreements as generative tools to come closer together to gain a deepened understanding of one another. Debate doesn't do that. Only authentic dialogue does that. And it's something that, you know, again, in addition to this podcast, it's something I'm passionate about doing in the world. So outcomes. So here are some, some outcomes when, of the DNA of indivisibility. Now, here are the outcomes of the DNA of indivisibility. And this is based on, um, you know, some projections. It's also based on the various um, projects that are out there, the various uh, initiatives that are out there that I've been sharing in episode three, where I talk about, I'm sorry, in part three of each element that I'm discussing throughout season one of Theory of Indivisibility, where I talk about how people are, um, you know, creating the new systems that we're moving towards. So the outcomes are authentic happiness, peace, healthy relationships, thriving communities, self-actualized people, healthy ecosystems, and environmental sustainability. Those are the outcomes of social systems rooted in the DNA of indivisibility. So after many years of thinking about our social ills, literally my entire adult life since I was like in my early 20s, um, I eventually came to conceptualize the name of my ideas and the concepts as the theory of indivisibility uh, for the first time in 2017. And oftentimes when I would share these thoughts with others, uh, even before I had that name uh, as a theory, I would share with others and people would, you know, say things like I'm naive for thinking that, you know, we could live in an indivisible world with without violence, without war, without winners and losers, etc. However, that never deterred me because everywhere I looked, I kept seeing innovations in the technological world where people were creating things that people once said weren't possible. It literally is all around us. So I drew my inspiration from those examples. And I've read books about people, you know, innovators and also uh, social innovators. When I thought about the abolitionists and uh, Frederick Douglass and, 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 and Harriet Tubman and Dr. King and a whole bunch of other folks that aren't those uh, prominent names, but the other people who, in the face of what people said wasn't possible, continued to push forward. So in my mind, I said, why can't we have social innovations in the same ways that we have all these technological innovations in our current era? And I look at my theory of indivisibility, along with this framework that I just shared, as social innovations. And this summer, in the summer of 2019, depending on when you're listening to this, it may no longer be this past summer. But in the summer of 2019, I was introduced to a book called Emergent Strategy by Adrian Marie Brown. And when I started to read that book, it was like, it was the same feeling that I got when I was introduced to the concept of systems thinking. And I read the book, The Fifth Discipline, 
and I started watching videos on systems thinking and Peter Senge, et cetera, it was like, again, night became day. <laughs> and it was also, you know, like all the things that I was feeling and trying to figure out words and language for, systems thinking gave me that framework. So when I was introduced to emergent strategy and I had already conceptualized the idea of my theory of indivisibility and I had already felt like a lot of people, you know, uh, think I'm crazy because I think that we can come together and be indivisible. I picked up this book and Adrian Marie Brown totally put into words a lot of the things that I try to articulate through this podcast, a lot of the things that I try to articulate about my sensibilities and how I see these issues and how I see a way forward. And she does it in such a beautiful way. Uh, I want to I share an excerpt from the book that I think speaks to what I'm trying to articulate. Begin quote. How do we shift into a culture in which conflict and difference is generative? One place to turn to with a transformative justice lens is our shared vision. When we imagine the world we want to shift towards, are we dreaming of being the winners of the future? Or are we dreaming of a world where winning is no longer necessary because there are no enemies? Domination or peace? I argue that peace is the most strategic option for our long-term survival. Not an uninformed or compromising peace. A peace that is built on truth, accountability, and equity. I will admit here that even some of my closest loved ones find me naive for holding a vision of a humanity with no enemies. I can imagine it, though, and in fact, it seems like the only viable long-term solution. We need to transform all of the energy we currently put into war and punishment into creating solutions for how to continue on this planet. The time, the energy, the money, we actually have all that in abundance. What we lack is will. End quote. She said, what we lack is will. And I'm sure you heard a lot of me <laughs> and the things that I've articulated throughout the various episodes of this podcast, just in that excerpt that I just read. When I, when I read this book, uh, because I'm still working my way through it, but it makes me uh, feel that I'm not alone. It makes me feel that, you know, someone, and not just her, but others have already been doing this work and creating language around this work and processing and grappling with the, trans with the complexities and nuance around this type of work of creating new, uh, you know, and, and designing new social systems. And um, not just new social systems, but, you know, new social systems that are rooted in the things that we talk about here. So the thing that really stands out to me is when she says that the last statement that what we lack is will. I believe that with everything in me, that's what I mean when I say I believe we have the capacity to live indivisibly. We just don't have the will. When I say we, I'm speaking about collectively as all humans um, have not gathered enough will for there to be a tipping point because there are a lot of people who have the will and who are doing the work, but not enough yet for a tipping point where that's the norm in our society. And to illustrate this, yesterday I went to the Fernbank Museum in Atlanta which is a, a, a museum of natural sciences and history. And it also has a huge like IMAX theater that shows short 
um, short movies that you know are rooted in those things in the sciences and the natural history and natural sciences and of course I enjoyed it a lot of the stuff that I talk about in this podcast was there in terms of the scientific uh, data that I share with all of you in episode two of this podcast uh, they had visuals for all those things in terms of the evolution from from the universe starting all the way up through the present and it was a beautiful thing to see that the research and the work that I did was displayed there uh, in such a simple timeline. And I, I um, one day when I go back, I'm going to take a, I wish I had taken video of it, but I'm going to take video and pictures of it so I can share it with all of you. Uh, but anyway, we, um, my friend and I that I went with, we watched a uh, short movie called Apollo 11 that gave, uh, it was like a documentary of the real time footage of the uh, putting the first uh, person on the moon, Neil Armstrong going to the moon with two other individuals and just some of the, the, you know, the con the context and the conversations and the work that went into it and they remastered it. So they made it color and it was really well done and it was very interesting. And, you know, the thing that, that, that struck me was back then in 1960, I believe this was 1969 uh, that that happened that, um, you know, and President Kennedy, you know, made this declaration that he wanted uh, America to send someone to the moon and return them home safely. And uh, they, NASA accomplished that. And when I watched it and I looked at the just the grand scale of the engineering, the mathematics, the collaboration, um, the science that went into b- creating this plan. And then building these massive structures to support the launch of this huge rocket out of our atmosphere and into outer space to the moon. It blew my mind, the sequencing of the launch and then the various parts of the of the rocket ship that dismantled at various stages and then the machinery you know, and the robotics that went into them being able to get up into the orbit and then another, um, you know, ship or whatever you want to call it, spaceship would leave the main spaceship to go to the to the moon. And then they got out and they observed and they got particles and et cetera. And then they got back in and the main ship was like orbiting the moon and they the ship, the spaceship that they were in. Uh, you know, had to reconnect with that main ship and then they had to bring it back into Earth. I mean, (laughs) again, just the technological organization science to get all of that work, the engineering, oh my goodness, to make all of that work. It literally took thousands of people, but more importantly, it took the will. It took the will to do it to put the effort, the resources, the energy to do something that seemed unfathomable up until that point in history. So in my mind, if humankind has the mental capacity and will to do something as complex and scary as that, as to send a human being out of this planet and up into the sky, into space, and to set foot on the moon, that if we set our will to deciding that we want to live indivisible and in poverty, homelessness, war, and all the isms 
that cause suffering, we could do it. There's no doubt in my mind that we can do it. And that's the message of this podcast. So to close this out, I want to tell you all a little bit more about myself. I want you to know the person behind um, this podcast. So here we are in October, and we're still working our way through season one. And admittedly, I had hoped to be finished with season one by the summer, and I had hoped to put out shows at a greater rate. But I have not been able to do so just because of time uh, and the lack of time that I have, because each show is very research intensive. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time to do the research and then write the show and then record the show and then edit the show and then launch it. So it takes a lot. As I share all the time, it takes 20 to 30 hours uh, to do each show. And on top of that, I have to work. I have to make money to support, you know, a lifestyle and my family and my children, et cetera. So that's, that's been the challenge in, of me putting out shows on a more regular basis. If I had my way, I would release a show every week to two weeks as opposed to, you know, sometimes it's like monthly. Um, and sometimes I miss an entire month. I, I didn't release a show at all in September. And that's unfortunate. And... The reason is, um, or some context for how I got here and who I am, is that I'm going to try to give you all the short version. Um, as I learned the things that I'm sharing with all of you, I've, gone, I've grown intolerant of um, the social systems that you know perpetuate all the ills. And we haven't gotten to capitalism yet, but eventually we're going to get there, and I'll be able to share with you all, if, and some of you know these things inherently, but uh, be able to share with you all just some of the conflicts that I have with capitalism. And it's put me in a place where I decided that I no longer wanted to make money in any way that didn't align with my theory of indivisibility, any way that didn't align with um, making the world a better place uh, and moving and creating and designing new systems, et cetera, when I say better, uh, within the context of the work I do here. So it was a process of me getting, you know, figuring out what that would be. I was a public school, I was an entrepreneur for many years, and I was a public school teacher for many years, uh, for several years, not necessarily many, but for five years to be exact. And I left public school because, again, once I started understanding systems thinking, I could no longer be a part of that system because I saw how it produced both winners and losers. And I wanted to be a part of nothing that produced losers when I understood that we can truly design systems where no one loses. So I transitioned into self-directed education, uh, the self-directed education space, which is designed to do just that, which is really, when I say design, it literally is just allowing young people to learn the ways they're naturally designed uh, because nature has a a grand design that is, again, generative and and reciprocal and and symbiotic. So self-directed education, um, facilitates and creates space for that to happen naturally for young people. So when I found my way to self-directed education, it aligned with who I was. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to align myself in that space up until this point where it was sustainable sustainable financially. Uh, So I also was and had always been a real estate, had a real estate license um, and I had been an investor in the past and 
um, as I continued to transition after the um, the market crash in 2008 into education and then furthering my understanding of systems and things like that, um, when I left public schools, I fell back on being a real estate agent to sustain myself and my family. And over time, I grew <laughs> disenchanted with being a real estate agent for the same reasons. I started to connect the dots on how, you know, um, property and ownership and all those things, um, while they have great benefits for some, they have such horrible outcomes. They produce horrible outcomes for so many others and so much um you know, environmental degradation and um, just oppression, you know, with with gentrification and just so many things. So I didn't want to be a part of that anymore. So I also started to Uber. And while Ubering, I could put more time into my self my work in self the self-directed education space. And I could put more um, work and energy into my podcasts um, and I didn't have to spend as much time working on real estate deals, et cetera. And eventually I transitioned out of real estate and solely once I made that decision uh, in 2000, at the beginning of 2018, I made the decision. I had just come off of a divorce um, that finalized in January of 2018. And that, um, of course, was devastating and, and, and rocked my world and my whole life. Um, and it also allowed me to also kind of, um, live more, uh, according to my values, um, and not have to go out and make a lot of money to, you know, appease, um, my ex-wife and maintain a certain lifestyle that I no longer was interested in maintaining, if that makes sense. So I decided to stop doing real estate and I literally took a couple of months off to to start doing the foundational research for my theory of indivisibility. And initially it was going to be a book. And I decided over the course of a few months that I was going to transition to just making it a podcast. And But I spent two months literally just taking the theory out of my head and doing the research that I needed to do to verify if the things that I was feeling through and the things that I was thinking, thinking, if they had any legs, if they had any uh, foundation, foundational efficacy in terms of like the scientific data. And when I learned that it did, you know, of course, I was very excited and I started writing and I started laying the foundation for everything that I've been sharing with you all. So I, it was just theory of indivisibility and Ubering. That was, I'm sorry. In terms of how I made money at that stage in 2018, it was just Ubering. I needed to Uber just to have enough money to feed myself and clothe myself and pay child support and have a place to live, et cetera. Um, you know, that's I just need the bare minimum. <clears throat> and um, so that's what I've done for the last year and a half now. And with that being said, I currently Uber 40 to 60 hours a week sometimes. And when I'm while I'm Ubering, the reason the good thing about it is it's mindless. You know, I can just be cordial to folks and then get them where they need to go. But I don't have to think there's not a lot of stress. Um, it doesn't take up any of my brain space that I use to solve to think about these problems and to come up with solutions and to be of service, uh, you know, in the space of the work that I do. Um, so it was a good fit in that sense. 
But financially, um, again, you know, we trade dollars for hours. So that time that I've been giving to Ubering has been a, a, a strain because I think about there's so many more ideas and ways that I want to develop the work that I'm doing with my theory of indivisibility. There's so many more things that I want to share with all of you. Uh, there's so many more places that I want to go in terms of how I can convey this this theory. This theory, I have so many more ideas that I can help people to see and name the problem and then also create a bridge in terms of the language and the tools and the resources and the systems that we need to create to come up with the solutions. However, I get pushed back and back and back because I'm always working to, to maintain a certain lifestyle. Um, and when I say a certain lifestyle, I literally mean the bare minimum, pay my bills, child support, et cetera. So that's been the struggle. And I recently shared, you know, these feelings with a good friend and supporter of my work, um, you know, someone who I met in the self-directed edu- education space where I continue to be a consultant and a trainer in that space. Um, and um, this person, uh, her name is Hope. She gives me so much hope. I love that that's her name because she gives me so much hope. She believes in me so much. And, you know, I was sharing with Hope that, you know, I created the Patreon account for you, the listeners, to support those of you who have the capacity to support this show uh, and this work. And I also share with her that the discomfort that I have in asking for help in those in that type of way, that discomfort that I have and being like uh, a charity case, and, and with, for the lack of a better term, um, you know, when I had my nonprofit and I was doing that work and my work for, you know, working with children, with getting my self-directed education space off the ground, when I was doing that, I didn't have a problem asking because I felt like I was asking for the children and things like that. But now that I have to ask for, like, if I want to truly get away, if I want to recapture those 40 to 60 hours that I'm giving to Uber just to maintain a very minimal lifestyle, so that I can put it into this work and put it into this theory and getting this work out into the world that I think can make the world a better place, I have to get those hours back. So therefore, I would have to you know, do more to ask for help and ask for support and backing. And I'm being vulnerable with all of you as a way to just bring you in and, and give you an idea of who I am. And also with the ask behind that, uh, which is, you know, if you're a listener and you're someone who is um, someone who is um, a philanthropist and has the means and and is looking for ways to use your wealth to support activists, uh, support people who are doing this type of work to make the world a better place. You know, I could definitely use your support. I'm looking for high net worth backers, whether you're listening and that's you or whether you know someone who is a high net worth person that is looking to fund these type of ideas, concepts. Uh, and people who are doing this type of work. I'm looking for a handful of high net worth individuals who can become uh, backers to help me get my time back so I can put more time and energy into doing this work. I'm also looking for individuals who I can be of service to with my my dialogue work that I do at growdialogue.com. Again, because that is also fully aligned with this work, with helping more people understand how to communicate, use authentic dialogue as a communications framework. That is literally the communication framework of the next systems, of the, you know, sustainable liberation, um, you know, um, systems. And so I'm making a direct ask um, for those of you who are listening to send me an email, dr.sunjata, dr.sunjata 
That's S-U-N-D-I-A-T-A. And it'll be in the show notes. Uh, at gmail.com, if you're that person and you're open to having a conversation with me on how you can be a backer, uh, and or if you have a, someone that I can talk to and you're able to make that introduction, it would be greatly appreciated because I feel like every day that goes by, every month that goes by, my heart gets heavier and heavier because I truly feel that I have something. I have the... Um, the mindset, I have the concepts, I have the tools, the language, and I want to further cultivate them. And I want to do more. I want to do videos. I want to start interviewing people. And I want to do those things regularly. This is the work that I want to do. And it's the work I want to contribute to the world before my time is up. And I feel like, you know, every day is precious. And yeah, that's it. So um, that's who I am. Those are the decisions I've made with my life over the last few years to dedicate myself to this type of work. Those are the sacrifices that I've been making. And I hope that if this work has been resonating with you, if you've been listening and you appreciate uh, what I'm bringing, that you'll back this work by becoming a patron no matter what you can give, even if it's a dollar a month. And also that if you're a high net worth person, that you'll reach out to me about a, about excuse me about a sponsorship or by backing me um, at a larger number. I'm hoping that you know you'll take you'll heed this call. This is extremely uncomfortable for me, but I wanted to, you know, be vulnerable with you, the listeners, to let you know who the person is behind the microphone and um, and behind these episodes, et cetera, and why I do this, why I'm passionate about it. And that's it. I'm rambling now. <laughs> so with that being said, I appreciate you all for listening. As usual, I love y'all. Until next time, peace.